All right, thank you. Turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 41. Genesis, chapter 41. We're continuing in our series dealing with the life of Joseph. Genesis, chapter 41. We're going to begin reading in verse 46 to get us started this evening. Remember last week we got up to his promotion after he interpreted the dreams and we move on from that point tonight. We'll have to refer back to it a little bit. We'll do some of our regular review as well. In verse 46, and Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. The food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much until he left numbering, for it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said, He hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. Let me just stop right there for a second. He's 30 years old. He's been a slave or a prisoner in jail in the prison for 13 of his 30 years. He's not done anything wrong. Now, a lot of times when people have something done wrong to them, that's their special thing that they get to hold on to as the excuse for every bad feeling they have. Not Joseph. He wanted to forget it. Isn't it interesting that when his brothers come, and we'll get to this in a week or so, when his brothers come to get food, he has an opportunity to get even. And he doesn't even consider it. Isn't that interesting? And he didn't have Ephesians 4, 30 through 32. There's a lot of things. He didn't have the gospel accounts to read where the Lord Jesus taught about forgiveness. But he sure did practice it. I'm just simply bringing this out because here is somebody who ended up being greatly used of God because he was willing to forget some things. The apostle Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's some things we just need to forget and get on with our lives and make our lives count for him. All right, let me get back to it here. Um, he says in verse, uh, well, verse 50, And unto Joseph were born two sons. I read that part. Uh, their names, verse 51, Manasseh, for God said, He hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. And the seven years of dearth began to come, according to as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. 
And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn because that the famine was so sore in all lands. Let's pray. Father, take the word of God. Speak to our hearts tonight, I pray. Challenge us in our walk and in our lives. Lord, we live in a society of victims. That's what our whole society seems to be about today. But we know you. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. As a result, we should be the victorious people. No matter what's going on in our life and see, have people see the joy of our God upon us. Use us, I pray tonight. Challenge our hearts and lives and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just to review a little bit, of course, you'll remember Joseph is one who had suffered one injustice after another. He had obeyed his father when his father told him to go and check on his brothers. And because he obeyed his father and he had some brothers that hated him way back in chapter 37, it said three times that they hated him. Says another time that they, they envied him greatly. They saw their opportunity away from home to do their brother in. They were going to kill him. But then Judas spoke up, and instead of killing him, they decided to make some money off of him, and they sold him into slavery. And, of course, taken off to uh, Egypt, where he became the slave of Potiphar. But even Potiphar could see that the hand of the Lord was upon him. And three times you have the statement in chapter 39 that the Lord's hand was upon Joseph. As a slave, the Lord's hand was upon him. As a prisoner, after Potiphar's wife falsely accused him, he gets thrown into the prison. But again, the Lord's hand was upon him. And although he was not the chief jailer, he did have charge over the prisoners. But 13 years pass. And all Joseph has to trust is that God spoke to his heart through a dream that one day his parents and his brothers would all bow down to him. That's the message he had from God. That one day, that God had a plan for his life. And God has a plan for your life. Now, you understand, and we understand this, looking at the scripture today, we understand that God had to put him in a special school for the job that he had him to do. He put him in the school of slavery. He put him in the school of being in prison so that he could become the number two man in the greatest nation on the planet at that particular time. The strongest nation on the planet at that particular time. God's going to use him. Nobody else could have possibly foreseen this. He's a slave. He's a prisoner. This guy has got absolutely no hopes for the future whatsoever, but he did. And that hope was in God. Now, we live in this day where we want God to do everything right now. God doesn't do everything right now. God doesn't work on our timetable. God works on his timetable. And for God's people, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And we can surely see that take place in the life of Joseph. Well, you remember, he had uh, interpreted two dreams, one of the butler of Pharaoh, the other of the baker of Pharaoh. Both of them came exactly true, and then the butler forgot Joseph for the next two years. But when Pharaoh dreams a dream that nobody could interpret, 
And it was repeated to him about the fact that there would be seven years of plentiness with the ears of corn and the well-fatted uh, cows. Uh, and then there would be seven years of famine. And he came, the butler came to Pharaoh and told him, hey, there's a guy who interpreted dreams when I was in the prison. And they brought him up, and this was Joseph's opportunity. He comes very respectful to Pharaoh. Now, wait a second, Pharaoh's a pagan king. As a matter of fact, Pharaoh was even treated and worshipped as a god among the Egyptians. Now, he doesn't do that. I'm saying Joseph does not worship Pharaoh, but Joseph does treat Pharaoh with respect. Do you understand these leaders were not godly men? They were pagan men. And he treated them with respect. We may have leaders that are pagan leaders. But because there are leaders, according to Romans chapter 13, we have a responsibility to respond correctly to them. And remember, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and as the rivers of water. He moveth it whithersoever he will. God tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that we are to pray. It's the will of God that we pray for all our leaders because he would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We have a responsibility. Have you prayed for your president today? Have you prayed for your governor? Have you prayed for the leaders of our nation? We're commanded to. We complain enough, but God tells us to pray. I think we complain over enough when we should be praying, praying enough so that God would move upon their hearts that we may live quiet and peaceably in our days. Well, so the Lord was with him and we find him now exalted to the number two place in the nation. A clear fulfillment of 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30, them that honor me, I will honor. And God does exactly that. So here... Joseph has gone from slave to prisoner to now ruler, the number two man in all of Egypt. This one who's been bossed around now can boss anybody he wants except Pharaoh. He can't boss Pharaoh, but all the other people. And you have to wonder if when Potiphar's wife got the news that Joseph was now the number two man in the nation, if she wasn't shaking in her boots just a little bit. Is he going to be vindictive? A lot of people can't handle power. But you see, Joseph, with every setback that he's had, he has still been a servant. He still saw a purpose in what was going on in his life. He'll do what God wants him to do, to serve and to preserve the very people that wronged him. With that in mind, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 21. Notice now, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, he says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously." who his own self bear our sin in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Now, that's not the end of the passage. I know it's the end of the chapter, but it's not the end of the passage. Because you'll notice after he gives Jesus as our example, 
who when he suffered, he didn't revile back. He didn't get even. But he even went to the cross to pay our sin debt. Notice what it says in verse 1 of chapter 3. Likewise, ye wives. It may be a case where you think you're suffering some. Likewise, ye wives. And then he says in verse 7, likewise, ye husbands. There are husbands who think they've got it so bad. And they feel they've got a right to complain and, and uh, be ugly and downgrade their mate. Now, likewise, ye husbands. Jesus is our ultimate example. In the Old Testament, we see Joseph, though, being great like the Lord Jesus. Notice a couple things tonight. First of all, his preparations. Remember the message that God had given Pharaoh. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. Now, they don't have a Bible. The Egyptians don't. Pharaoh doesn't. But he believes what he heard from the word of God about what was going to take place in his nation. And Joseph had already made it very plain that God had given Pharaoh that message. And it was to save life, not to destroy life. No problem living for the next seven years. But what about beyond that seven years? Will Joseph be able to save lives then? And he had the character and he had the ability to get it done right. I mean, after all, look, at he'd been in the Egyptian prison. He had been a slave to a leader in Pharaoh's court, the captain of the guard, Potiphar. Now, he could have been wanting to get even. That's not him. He serves. That's what he's doing. He has to answer to God and to Pharaoh, and he recognizes that he gives no thought at all that his plan might not work. We don't find him doubting that when the seven years come, there won't be enough. God's going to give him plenty enough to take care of things. Now, this is not to Jacob. This is not to the sons of Jacob. This is to take care of Israel. Now, admittedly, God has a plan for Jacob and his sons and going to unite them with Joseph, and they're going to be kept alive too. But isn't it amazing how they get the blessing, the Egyptians do, of Joseph's obedience? Let me just share with you an opposite thing. You get over to the book of Numbers when Israel refuses to go into the promised land when God wanted them to go in. The Canaanites, because of Israel's disobedience to go into the land that God wanted them to be into, the Canaanites got to enjoy the land flowing with milk and honey for another 40 years. How about that? That's a case where the disobedience of God's people allowed a people who were bent on destruction to instead enjoy 40 more years in a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, notice his service in verse 46. It says, And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. He didn't stand around basking in the glory of his new position. Here was an opportunity to serve, and he begins on serving right away. He's using the new position that he has to do exactly what he's been doing all along, and that's serving others. A person of lesser character would have been taken up with his position more than their duties, but he's more concerned about his duty and his responsibilities than he is his privilege. 
You know, all around us today, we live in a society that is somehow just trying to get ahead where they can have their minutes of fame and that everybody can lavish praise upon them and people look up to them and people respect them. Joseph wasn't about that. He was about serving. What an interesting man. So he took the office to do a job just as before he used any elevation to do a job. We also see his sagacity in this. He begins by storing the grain. He says in verse 47, And in the seven plenteous years the earth brought forth by handfuls, notice by handfuls, and he gathered up all the food of the seven years that were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities and the food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. In a lot of the Egyptian drawings, you will see granaries that have been drawn, uh, whether it be in the pyramids or other monuments that they had over in Egypt for that time back then. And there's no doubt a lot of that comes from the time of Joseph because they had to have the granaries in order to store the grain, which ought to remind us of another miracle. It doesn't rot in the granaries. Imagine all that food being in the granaries for seven years, some for six years, some for five years, and it doesn't rot. God's doing an amazing work. And God is exalting Joseph in what's taking place. Now, in all this time, he had an announcement from God, a famine is coming. Joseph could have said this. He could have said, we got a famine coming. Go ahead and enjoy the years of plenty, and we'll just trust God in the famine. We'll just pray. That would have been the lazy man's way to do it. You see, he is teaching them. He's teaching them purpose. He's teaching them to plan. He's teaching them to work and to not waste. God was giving that an abundance for later. We want to get everything and just spend it. We get a lot of money now. We don't put it back. We don't save it. That's our society today. It's the way it is, and what a shame it's that way. So he could have said, let's just, let's just trust God, and we'll have a prayer meeting when the famine starts. He doesn't do that. He is being very responsible in how he's handling the message that came from God. Why did God tell Pharaoh ahead of time? I believe it's so that they would prepare Think about this. God is going to use the godless to protect his people. I believe, now I know the Egyptian lives were important, but all this is going to lead up to Jacob and his sons going over to Egypt and living in the land of Goshen, the land of plenty, for a few hundred years. They're going to be there. God's using all of this to get them over there. There's a prophecy that is messianic, And it's also concerning Israel. My son, have I called out of Egypt? That's mentioned in chapter 2 of the book of Matthew. Um, In Amos 4.12, the Bible says, prepare to meet thy God. Now, there's no more important preparation than, of course, the preparation of getting saved. Then you're preparing for eternity. And if you've not taken Christ as your personal Savior, if you've not been born again, like the Lord Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, you better prepare for eternity because you don't know when you're going to die. You need to come to Jesus Christ today. That's the first preparation that you need. 
But you need to be preparing for other things in life as well. There are things you need to learn now. We need to teach our kids that there are things they need to learn while they're kids. Youth is not all about playing. It's not all about having fun. May I say, children are going to have some fun anyway. I was a child. Hey, even when we worked, we found ways to have fun when we worked. Now, we worked hard. I remember working out of my uncle's farm, man. We bailed hay in the hot summertime. Yes, it gets hot even up in Michigan during the summertime when we were bailing hay and putting that stuff in the hay mound. Uh, and, man, it'd be some long days of work, and that's okay. I needed that. That's good. It's good for a child to bear the yoke in his youth. It's good for them. They need that. Need to teach them how to work. Well, I need to move on here with this. Um, when we think about our futures, by the way, God's not concerned about our por- portfolio as much as he is us turning to him. Matthew six thirty three: Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We also see his swiftness in verse 46. For we see, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. He went out. He'd not be tardy in fulfilling his responsibilities. A great famine is coming, maybe seven years off. But man, time flies. It flies. I mean, I wish I'd have known in high school some of the things that I know today. I wish I would have known to go ahead and get things done early instead of having to do my studying for my final test on the night before the final test. I wish I would have known to go ahead and do that term paper, get it done well before it was due, then wait until the last night and run to the public library and try to get it done then. They don't run to the library today. They run to the Internet and plagiarize. But that's another matter. Point is, though, he's preparing. He is preparing. When God called me to preach... I recognize, I mean, I was so ignorant of the Bible. Admittedly, in two and a half years, yes, I had memorized a lot of Scripture and I'd studied a lot, but there was so much that I didn't know. I went off to Bible college and the first classes we had were the summer classes. I had Dr. Fred Affman, Old Testament survey and New Testament survey. Each class was five weeks in length for uh, 10 weeks. And I think there was a second class you could take as well with each of those and um, I remember when I got done with that, those first classes, that first 10 weeks of school, man, I need to get out and start pastoring. I, I don't think they got any more they can teach me. I mean, I learned so much those first 10 weeks. It wasn't that I thought I was so brilliant. I just thought, wow, that was a lot. And we got it all done in 10 weeks. How to get out there? No, there's a time to prepare. I mean, hey, God has spent 13 years preparing Joseph to take a leadership position. 13 years he has spent preparing him. And now Joseph is spending another seven years preparing the nation for a time of famine that's coming. Prepare. Put some money aside. Work. Plan your work. I mean, prepare. We're caught off guard way too often simply because we don't want to work. We want to enjoy every minute we've got now. You know, some of the best enjoyment is work. Some of you are old enough to remember the many loves of Dobie Gillis. There was a character, Maynard G. Krebs, who later, by the way, became Gilligan. And 
Dobie Gillis's dad would get upset. But he was, see, he was a beatnik. That, the beatniks came along before the hippies came along. He was a beatnik. And whenever the word work would be said in that show, Maynard would always work, work. And that was one of the main jokes of the whole show was here's a young person that work was just abhorrent to him. Work is good. It's good. They need to get it. Procrastinators don't accomplish much. They become slaves to the emergency. They create, and by the way, they create a lot of emergencies themselves without even knowing it because they didn't prepare. We get a job and can't wait for a paycheck. What about planning work to be the best you can be? What about, what about working at work? Well, there's a novel idea for Americans today. Working at work. You know, I'm convinced if, for instance, some restauranteur could hire people that would want to work and teach them how to work and be responsible, that not only would the restaurants do well, but the waiters and waitresses would do well with the tips that they get if they just go the extra mile and work. But people don't want to serve. They just want to get paid. Work. Here's Joseph, man. This man's working. He's, he's sweating, if you please. He was a hard worker. Verses 45 through 59, we read terms like this. He went out. He went throughout all the land of Egypt. He gathered up. He laid up. He gathered. He got things done because he believed in hard work. He had to do hard work as a slave. He had to do hard work as a prisoner in the prison. Way too many days. Just get enough done to get by. And it all has to do with attitude. There are jobs that can be done. Matter of fact, if somebody will work, they can get hired. If they'll work, that's the key. Notice his systemizing in verse 48. In verse 48, it says, And he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. His preparations were systematic. They were well organized. He stored the food in the cities to enable an efficient distribution. He's thinking ahead. Joseph has got a good head on his shoulders in getting things prepared. It's interesting. The Holy Spirit gave instructions to the church in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, when he writes, let all things be done decently and in order. In the church... Things are to be done decently and in order, not haphazardly, decently and in order. Lack of orderliness is not an inherent personality trait that you can blame on bad genes. You see, disorderliness indicates a lack of discipline and dedication. Not only that, his sufficiency and preparation. Uh, Go back to verse 34. Back in verse 34. When he says, uh, let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. So during this time, it's not like Joseph is getting it all. The people are keeping 80%. And this is is a tax. These people are working hard. They have to send 20% into Pharaoh. But it is for their good so that they'll be able to live, so that they'll be able to eat when the seven plenteous years come about. But they have an abundance that comes in, so much so that it breaks down their system of keeping track of how much they have. 
more than they can count. They've got it throughout the land. This is a nation that we're talking about, not a city. This is a nation. This is a major operation that's taking place. It's a good thing that there was no CNN or MSNBC or any of the news media around back then, or he never would have been able to get any of that done, especially the third year of collecting all that stuff. And there's no famine. They don't see it. All we have is the word of Joseph to go by. And you remember, the Hebrews were an abomination to the Egyptians. This Hebrew is stealing all our money, stealing all our good stuff. We can't enjoy life because we have to pay taxes. Man, it sounds like I'm, I'm preaching for having more taxes. Yippee. Let's see if I can change this a little bit. Go to verse 56. And the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the, the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. So they had the storehouses, the granaries in which to put the food. And these were frequently pictured on Egyptian monuments, made from bricks, economical to build and to maintain, and God kept it. That leads us to his sincerity in his preparation. His lifestyle reflected his faith. You just have to wonder what kind of ridicule the people spoke toward Joseph. I mean, not at him, with him right there. But you can only imagine people talking about what's going on with them collecting all of this food. At this point, he's probably not the most loved guy in Egypt. He's the number two man. Pharaoh gave him the authority to do what he was doing. Imagine when they had so much grain in Egypt that they couldn't count it after year six. And with one more year to go to continue to get the, the food. But he believed God's message. And I want you to get this. Joseph's action and Joseph's lifestyle reflected what he believed. I want, you, I want you to think about that. I want you to meditate on it for a moment. The things Joseph did reflected what he believed. To the lost world out there, the things that you do reflect what you really believe. What your lifestyle is reflects what you really do believe. We think we're a lot more spiritual than what we are, but I'll tell you what, the lost look at us, and when they see us acting out of character of what we say we believe and how we believe that we're really supposed to act, it sends a mixed message to those that are around us. But for Joseph, in everything that he's doing, he believes he's obeying God, and he is, and he reflected that. You remember, even, even Potiphar saw that the hand of his God was upon him. That even when he was a slave, we find Joseph living what he believed. Are you living what you believe? Are you living what you really believe? A lot of times we get mad at people for judging us. But they're, really, they're simply seeing what we do and saying, this must be what you believe. And if you don't like what people think you really believe, 
then change your actions so they reflect what you really believe. We are Christians. You know, when I was lost, I didn't know so much. I didn't know anything hardly about the Bible at all. I didn't know who Jesus was. I I knew he died on a cross. I I didn't know anything about the resurrection. I didn't know why he died on the cross. Uh, I I didn't know anything. I was totally biblically ignorant. But you know, there was something that I, I knew. I knew the Christians were supposed to be different than I was. I wasn't a Christian. I made no claim of being a Christian. And I, but I knew somebody said they were a Christian. If they were doing what I was doing, something, it, it didn't compute. It's in the way it's supposed to be. As a matter of fact, the guy that asked me to play softball with the church team, that got me into church. I mean, he was a fellow announcer at the radio station where I worked. He went to places I went. He saw the things that I saw. And he spoke just like me. I was a lost man, had a foul mouth, uh, all of that. But, and he had, a, he had a very close friend that was another young man that had been brought up in the church. And he was exactly the same way. And I knew back then, there's something not right here. If these guys are, are really Christian, they should be different. Now, I always knew that. But today, it seems like believers think they're supposed to be more like the world. And I don't get that. I would expect Goliath, for instance, to act like a Philistine. That's what he was. When you see him cursing the God of Israel, you say, well, but he was a Philistine. I would expect him to curse the God of Israel. He was a Philistine. We need to be raising up young people to be like Christians and not like Philistines. Anyway, you get the point, I know. So Joseph practiced what he preached. And by the way, if you don't practice what you preach, if your life doesn't show what you say you believe, then your faith is bogus. Then we see his policies. Of course, in Joseph should be required. uh, I think a course in Joseph should be required for every government worker and every politician. We'd all be better off if that was the case. But few men have executed their office as wisely as what Joseph did. According, after the seven years of taking that vast amount of food, a famine was coming. And it was going to be devastating. This was not going to be a light thing. Now, it's amazing, for instance, because people are trying to get us hooked on climate change, the dreaded climate change. When they had those snowfalls come in last time, not this time, in California and through the nation, they called it a snowmageddon. A snowmageddon. I'm thinking, you people have never read your Bible. Man, you don't have a clue what any of, the, any of the things that are talked about in the book of Revelation, what that's really going to be like, what the battle of Armageddon is going to be like. You, don't, you people don't have a clue. You're throwing those things out there trying to scare people about something, using words absolutely ridiculous. And, of course, now California is in the midst of a weather bomb. There's a weather bomb going off in California right now. Oh, I'm scared. That's what they want you to be. They want you to be scared. 
I got news for you. The world is going to end, but it cannot end for another 1,007 years at least. It can't end. By the way, those last seven years, it's really going to be, or the first seven years, uh, that time of the tribulation, it's really going to be bad. And there is no amount of changing anything we do that's going to change that. During the time of tribulation, God's going to pour out his wrath upon this earth. And I'll guarantee you, he'll outdo every factory that put all the factories together in one place. They're not going to touch it. God is still in control. Well, let me get back to what we need to get done tonight. Uh, first of all, the selling of the grain during the famine. Notice what happens, how it takes place. And we'll go into more detail next week. But he says here... Uh, let's see. And when, verse 55, when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and then underlined this, and sold. He didn't give it away. He sold it. To the people. Now, during the beginning of the uh, COVID things that took place in 2020, when all that came about, people cleared the stores, the shelves in the stores, especially the toilet paper shelves. <laughs> they cleared them. People would go in and grab every piece of toilet paper they can get. Forget anybody behind me. I'm going to go to the bathroom a lot. care about people that's the way we are if we get an opportunity and we live in a society people don't care if it's right or wrong they'll go and steal just because they can that's how depraved we have become as a nation this is sad stuff imagine had he just opened up the granaries and said there it is it all been gone in the first six months there would have been nothing left to take care of people in the famine. He sold it. So this is something that was organized. Now I could see some of the Egyptians being a little upset. Hey, that was our stuff. We gave it. No. When Pharaoh got it, it became his. And he's letting you buy it back. Selling it was a wise thing to do so that it would be around a whole lot longer. As a matter of fact, when you go and look ahead to the story, he first takes money for it. Then when money runs out, he takes their livestock. And then he takes their land. And he kind of share crops the land to where they can work the land and they get to keep enough for them and their families. They get to keep 80% and 20% back to him. And then he uses, he takes their lives. I don't mean he kills them. But it becomes under control of Joseph and of Pharaoh. And there's an interesting statement. Go over to chapter 47. Chapter 47. And notice verse 15. And when money failed in the land of Egypt. When money failed. I'm 73 years of age. And for all of my life, the money standard in the world has been the dollar. I got news for you, folks. The dollar can fail. And it will. 
it's not funny, but it is perhaps ironic that all these rich people buying all this, these Bitcoin. What is a Bitcoin? I still don't get it. Why not just keep your dollar? Well, the dollar's failing. Well, how's the Bitcoin doing for you? I mean, there are billionaires who lost billions of dollars on the Bitcoin. There's got to be something behind it. Whatever money, make it the yen, make it whatever, they all eventually fail. I remember the first time we went to, uh, we went to Mexico. I believe that the first time we went there, it was like seven pesos per dollar or something like that back in the early 90s. And it went up. It was going up every month. After a couple of years of that, it was like 3,000 pesos per dollar. And then they went and wiped out three zeros and went back to three. And it wasn't long, and it was back up there. In other words, if you just kept the peso, those, let's say you had 100 peso, might have been worth $30 when you first got it. And if you didn't do anything with that peso to invest or anything else, what would happen well, it wouldn't be long, and that peso would just be worth three cents. That happens to money. And when money failed, hey, when people are starving and they spend all their money to get enough just to be able to live on, there was a lot of that during the Depression. Now, people lived during the Depression. Everybody didn't starve. A lot of people had it a whole lot tougher than what it was before. But there was a lot of tragedy that went on during the Depression. People spent everything that they work for in a day just to feed them for the day. We cannot understand. By the way, you young people, you're used to presents, everybody buying for you. Hey, man, we can blow $1,000 on video games, and uh, it doesn't matter. But you older folks, you remember when you had to work just to live, and there wasn't any thought about going on vacation. Vacation? Going someplace like Disneyland and spending a couple thousand dollars to put your kids on rides? Man, we work too hard for the money to do that. It's tough. Well, what about when all the money fails? And it comes about that it will. Now, money eventually does fail. There are some things, by the way, that money really fails at that are important. It fails to hold homes together. There are an awful lot of homes that have more money than they know how to spend but their homes are in shambles. Money doesn't hold a home together. Money fails to bring happiness. It doesn't have the power to do that. It fails to bring eternal safety. Only Jesus Christ can give that. Then there's the sharing of the grain after the famine. Notice, let me get back to the passage here in verse uh, 57. And all the countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn because the famine was sore in all lands. So Pharaoh is getting rich, and he's getting more and more powerful. Uh, Wait a second, Joseph. What are you doing? You're helping this godless country, Egypt. Well, they had gods, but their gods were false gods. What's he doing? He's doing what God told him to do. Can God work like that? He did. He did. By the way, the scripture says that in Abraham shall all the nations be blessed. All the nations. What about that? 
God does work. You know, yes, Israel were a special people, but he loves the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Jesus just didn't die for Israel. He died for the world, for everybody. Well, let's see, what group did he come out of? He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Judah was the fourth son of Israel. It helps to remember things like that instead of listening to some of the filthy propaganda that's out there. So anyway, the sharecropping that they end up doing provides work for the people to keep them busy, adequate wages for the people, and sufficient wealth for the government all at the same time. And other nations come in and they purchase, which increased the power of Egypt. Joseph, here's a man with a plan who is willing to work the plan. And this hardworking servant saved a nation as well as eventually his own family. God's working in your life. God's working in my life. And in working in our lives, sometimes he has to whittle us down. Sometimes he has to shave part of us off so that we can be used of God. In the Apostle Paul, a messenger of Satan was sent to buffet him, lest he should be exalted above measure because of the abundance of the revelations. God wanted to keep using Paul, so he had to have a physical infirmity so that God could continue to use him because God resisted the proud but giveth grace unto the humble. Why not let God, with whatever he's working in your life, let him do it and thank him for it. And then let him use you. Now that's a champion for God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Help us, I pray, to learn from Joseph. What a man. What a godly man. In the midst of a pagan nation, God, I pray you'd help us to be what we ought to be for your glory. Lord, if there's one here that's never taken Christ as their Savior, I pray they'd come to Jesus and be born again tonight. I pray for believers, may we allow the Spirit of God to change us. God, have your way tonight in Jesus' name.